Welcome to the Hablamos podcast, where we have conversations on teaching, learning, bi, and multilingualism in the classroom. This is a part of the ICMEE project at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Our goal is to embrace multilingualism and support teachers in the classroom. I'm Brandon Hines, your host, and I hope you enjoy our conversation today. This is Brandon with uh, the Ablamos podcast here. Today we have Dr. Juliana Kenfield. Um, she is an assistant professor down at the University of Texas Permian Basin. And we are so pleased and yeah, we are so pleased to have you on the show this week. Um, normally we let each other or we uh, let our guests introduce themselves a little bit more. Um, so yeah, um, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Kenfield? Sure. Uh, first of all, I want to, to thank you for this opportunity of being interviewed today, particularly because um, I'm also an, an advocate for multilingualism, as is uh, your ICMEE team. Uh, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, we love um, hearing from anybody and everybody in the field. So thank you for being on the show. <laughs> sure. Um, my name is uh, Juliana. I am a Quechua scholar, uh, currently an assistant professor of the bilingual ESL program at the University of Texas Permian Basin. We're located in Odessa. Uh, mi investigación general se centra en las ideologías y las prácticas sociolingüísticas de comunidades bilingües, quechua español y comunidades bilingües español-inglés. So in general, my research focuses on, on social linguistic ideologies and practices of um, communities that are bilingual um, Quechua Spanish and uh, Spanish English. Um, Juliana Sutica, Cosco Yachtamantancani, Ichaca, Texas Yachtapi uh, Tiyashani, Yankashani, Pisipisillata Runasimita Rimashani, Chairaiku, Kait Unchao, Castellanisimi, Otaj. English Simi Rimasa. What you just heard is, is the Quechua language and I have to mention that I am uh, originally from Peru. I, I grew up in a, in a multilingual family as well, mainly bilingual Quechua and Quechua is the language that you just heard. So Quechua and Spanish uh, are, are the languages that um, was uh, well, you know, uh, they were in my relatives and in my growing, growing up. primary home languages. Correct, in Cusco, in Cusco, in, in Peru. And uh, I was a bilingual teacher in New Mexico. So I have uh, six years of experience in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, with um, students whose first language uh, um, is Spanish or was Spanish no, at that time and they were um they believe in in bilingual education and all of that motivated me to to be part of this um this collective of researchers that um are um preparing uh, bilingual teachers in the united states 
Yeah, and I see that you worked in a variety of roles here in the U.S. Uh, you were uh, tr a paralegal translator um, working with immigrants. Um, you were also working in schools here. Okay, yeah, as a you were working in secondary classrooms as a bilingual teacher down in was that in Texas as well? Um, no, uh, my um, my teaching experiences uh, it was in, in well in Seattle uh, uh, first, and then in New Mexico in Albuquerque. I am very new to Texas now. Oh, I have okay. been in Texas for um, thirteen months in this uh, faculty position. But but yes, you are you are right. Uh, I had also an experience as a as a paralegal. Um, and that was a very important experience because um, being an immigrant myself, I thought, you know, I would understand the experience or, of immigrants, but I realized I knew little because there are different, it's a variety of experiences. And I realized about my own privilege of coming to the U.S. Uh, with a visa, right, with a program. Right. Um, and so, and that also added to my commitment to to be serving immigrant populations here in the U.S. Yeah, I can imagine that was an eye-opening experience. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, yeah. what research are you currently? Uh, what's kind of like the most current research that you're participating in right now? Sure. Um, I am currently involved in a in a participatory studies study, sorry, that centers uh, on social linguistic exploration of pre and in-service bilingual teachers whose first language is Spanish or uh, their first language is Spanish-English because they are bilingual from birth. Mm -hmm. And um, they are um, exploring, right, exploring their own um, experiences as English language learners them, themselves and how they um, they were educated and how they learn math basically and um, the this participatory um, approaches uh, helps them facilitate critical dialogues of their social linguistic and biliteracy experiences as bilingual learners as well as their professional identity as bilingual educators so some of the research questions, for example, are um, how do these teachers envision addressing effective language objectives to battle deficit ideologies around Spanish, English, uh, biliteracy or numeracy? Um, another question, uh, how do social linguistic experiences of bilingual teachers inform, transform, or reproduce uh, certain linguistic ideologies around um, bilingualism, biliteracy, binumeracy as educators. So we, uh, we are a collective of seven people uh, working in this study. Um, coming again, coming from, from Cusco, being a Quechua scholar, uh, I believe on, uh, on decolonial uh, approaches to research. And one way of doing that, uh, I believe, is, is the participatory um, approach where uh, we move away from this, um, uh, the researcher, the expert, and then the, the subjects of a study. And we are, uh, rather, we become co-researchers, exploring the reality 
and how we can transform our own realities. So we, uh, we have seven participants and actually we're presenting uh, the initial um, reflections uh, of this study in, in the TABE, Texas Association of Bilingual Education, in next week. And oh. Jasmira, one of my um, students, my co-researcher, is presenting as well. So um, it's, it's going well. I mean, uh, uh, teachers always get engaged uh, in these kind of approaches. I, I, I believe in participatory approaches. Have you noticed any any interesting uh, sorry any interesting themes or trends so far in your research with this participatory approach like that you wouldn't normally see out of more um, I guess kind of a standard or just mm -hmm. uh, observational approach to studying yes um, uh, one uh, is that because you are um, basically exploring yourself right you draw on your experiences and that is very how can I say empowering um, uh, because you realize that yes theories definitely uh, are important books and all of that but then you realize that your um, home literacy your commu uh, cultural community wealth right it's as important for you um, to become uh, committed, especially in this kind of profession that is a social oriented profession, education. So one of the trends is it's the level of commitment. So um, co-researchers, the, the, the pre-service educators um, engage and then explore themselves and they, uh, um, they, the level of commitment for uh, dismantling, right, the disservice to their own immigrant communities uh, become stronger. Mm -hmm. I believe that. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I can imagine that that personal level of engagement really helps to, yeah, strengthen the commitment to the program overall rather than something that may not be as quite as personal, right? That Correct. Correct. And especially here, like in Odessa, we have a shortage of teachers. We need uh, 300 teachers. Um, I mean, this is um, it's just alarming. <laughs> so um, I really uh, hope um, this also, this kind of studies, right, um, uh, become like an, a snowballing effect. And then, you know, other um, people from the Latino community or non-Latino, but uh, wants to serve the, these borderlands communities, uh, join, right, the, the, uh, the educational workforce uh, because of the social orientation. <laughs> that is the, the, the main, the, at the core, I think, I believe. The main, main goal, excellent, excellent. Um, I've, I noticed that a lot of your work has to do with decolonization and it seems like you've done some efforts in Peru as well as uh, I was going to say the American Southwest but I guess just throughout America um, so mm -hmm. uh, Seattle New Mexico and Texas um, and yeah what what are some of the differences in working in those varying regions because I can imagine that um, Peru and Seattle are very mm -hmm. different landscapes as well as just you know New Mexico to Texas even Yes, yes, there are differences, definitely. Um, but also, <laughs> I found a lot of similarities. Um, I just want to mention one. Um, 
when I was a student at the University of New Mexico um, and learning that there are 19 languages spoken in, in, the, in, in that state alone, it was eye-opening to me because, uh, you know, coming from Peru, I, I, I have been in the States for 13 years now. So I was coming from Peru with this preconception or of, you know, not finding a lot of indigenous population in the United States. But um, it was a very, like, um, eye-opening again, and this learning experience that there are 19 languages in New Mexico. So I found similarities, for example, like that. In Cusco, there are nine languages spoken. Of course, uh, the, the mostly spoken indigenous language is Quechua in the, in the Andean area, but Cusco has the, the, also the Amazonian area and the other uh, Amazonian languages are spoken as well there. So I, I found, I was very, very happy, happily surprised to, to be able to learn more about the United States. Uh, wh what really is the United States? You know, we have discourses in Latin America about what the United States is. But once you really are here, uh, you keep just learning right. <laughs> and be surprised, you know. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's an interesting perspective that we don't often get. What, uh, yeah, could you go into like what those discourses in Latin America kind of were versus kind of what you see now? Was it more of um, something along the lines of like maybe America, the United States is a little bit more monolingual than, you know, Correct. Latin America? Okay. Exactly, like that one is, is, is a myth, is something um, that, we learn, you know, we have, uh, I mean, sadly to say that, that sometimes we imagine, I, and I have to confess, I would imagine the U.S. to be more like New York, right? And, or to read or to understand the United States from Hollywood or things like that. My first experience in the U.S. was in Montana. Oh, and that was from New York. <laughs> <laughs> that was very interesting to me too. I was confused by a Blackfeet person. You know, some people would look at me and think, you know, I was from the Blackfoot um, um, community, and I was telling them where I'm close, probably related because I am, you know, I am Quechua. Mm. But so, but then to learn that there is all of these Native American communities in the U.S. Um, so those were the similarities that I can find because in Peru we have 44 languages and, and these are um, also uh, Andean and Amazonian communities. So we have a lot of indigenous um, blood in Peru. And sometimes maybe we are read also as a monolingual Spanish speaker country from Latin America. Right. And yeah, my, my students here are also surpri surprised to learn, you know, um, my experiences and when they hear Quechua they can believe that they are hearing Quechua in a U.S. institution. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah I can imagine you get some wide eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yes but um, still um, you know I'm, I'm humble to, to keep learning from this collective of, of educators because I really admire educators. Uh, I mean I was an educator myself in the classroom and I am now an educator um, in in a university, uh, still I keep admiring educators because it's, it's, it's a huge commitment, and uh, and I really believe that is the profe profession that can transform realities for our students and from, for ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what advice, one part, of, one portion of the show is we always love to pass down advice to those entering the field as pre-service educators or brand new educators, as well as veteran educators here that might not have had your specific experiences. So mm -hmm. what advice do you have for really anybody within that spectrum of people attempting to get into education or people that have been there quite some time here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I... Uh... I, I have to say that I, I teach one um, general course where I um, I meet undergrad students who, who are undecided whether they want to become a teacher or not. And they this course is not in the bilingual program. It's a general course. So one thing that we have been doing um, with them specifically is um, self-explore our uh, social linguistic landscape so these students were self-exploring their landscape and looking not only at their experiences but reaching out uh, as far as their great-grandparents and then they were you know kind of relearning or remembering uh, that their great-grandparents came also with with all of these experiences. So maybe they are, you know, third generation or fifth generation Americans or US born, but there is a family history. And so tracing that back was, was a very interesting um, experience in, in, in that specific course. So the self-exploration, but not only uh, you, your life, um, but going back some generations back. So, um, so you are asking me for advice, but I am answering with an actual <laughs> hands-on <laughs> experience that we have, because uh, I believe, you know, in doing the project. Um, but advice um, would be to, to again, just looking uh, to experiences uh, in, our, in our families, uh, going back four or five generations in the past. Because sometimes it's very hard to empathize, right, with some experiences of our students in the classrooms, especially if they are immigrants and we are not. It's, right. it's really hard. So, but, but, they, but we have those experiences in our families. Yeah, yeah especially, yeah, like for myself, like I'm a, depending on what side of the family you want to look at, my mother is from Mexico and my father's from Germany. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm second or third generation American. So I don't really have to go back too far. And my, you know, my parents speak, you know, mm -hmm. German and Spanish um, as well. So like looking back on those experiences, yeah, it definitely does offer some, you know, some value for me as an educator to, you know, understand a little bit of, you know, the experience, but it, it's interesting where I might, it's difficult for me since I'm, mm -hmm. you know, native born now American, like for me to really like, whenever I step into those like decolonization areas, like it's very hard sometimes for me to like feel confident moving forward, you know? Correct. And sometimes the words, I mean, they can trap us. I mean, the labels, right? Like yeah. I was sharing with you earlier, um, this word decolonization or coloniality yeah it's a big label and and we have to be careful um i had 
experiences in the past that when I used those words and people were looking at me like, oh, here we go, you know, this <laughs> fundamentalist. <laughs> and it's, it's not who I am. So I have to be very, very careful. Um, with that, I have been learning by experience. Uh, uh, and words can be a little bit tricky, right? So I, I, I believe, again, more in the actions. And so the actions... Uh, of doing things and and for me the coloniality really is the shaking yourself and uh, pushing yourself to see other other ways of being other ways of knowing other ways of acting and uh, uh, in the world that are you know uh, away from only eurocentric uh, perspectives i'm not saying that we can remove Eurocentric frameworks. You know, we have also good things from Eurocentric um, ways of knowing. But uh, what I am saying is that we have to push ourselves to see these other mm, diverse uh, epistemologies and, and ways of being. I had, you know, students in, in, in Cusco that they were misinterpreting me and they were saying, oh, but I feel bad because I don't speak Quechua. And the message wasn't that in that way. I mean, I, I had to clarify. I said, you know, I speak Quechua, but I'm not as fluent as other Quechua speakers. But uh, you can act as Quechua. You know, we have to be a researching um, ways of doing uh, ways of researching as well. Uh, the ways that um, you know our great grandparents, our grandparents were doing it, and speaking the language for sure is an asset but even if you do not speak the language you, you can be that person that can reach out to other ways of being mm -hmm. well it's very interesting that uh that touches me a little bit um since i don't speak either german or spanish really very well at all like sometimes i feel a little you know it, 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 i feel sad about that and it's something that eventually mm -hmm. i'm going to get to hopefully one day <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah like it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah, my past isn't there. Exactly. Um, well, um, we're coming close to the end here. Do you have any other, um, anything that's present and important that you would love to talk about? Any new ideas, research, readings you've been doing? Anything that you want to let anybody know about? Or yeah. Well, you mentioned reading. Um, I, have, um, I have been reading and sharing so, some readings on translanguaging which I, I think it's, it's an interesting concept. And uh, more about um, research, I have been um, a, a reading Fals Borda from Latin America lately, you know, in uh, the IAP. Uh, oh, uh, it's also a way of doing participatory research. And uh, another person that I, I have to read uh, you know, and reread is Paolo Freire, mm -hmm. and then for the decolonial thinking, maybe Rivera Cusicanqui from Bolivia. Um, but also, um, some of my participants were pushing me, you know, we have to uh, be also publishing more and doing more, being more uh, in the front. So we are working on a, on, on a uh, film. Um, to present photo voice as a methodology, but with the Quechua epistemologies, and we hope to have it uh, next summer. Uh, it's gonna be 
um, trilingual, Quechua, Spanish, and English, and uh, oh. show how photo voice as a participatory methodology works, but uh, also with some uh, Quechua epistemologies. And it's going to be shown through a case. Through the case, uh, we, we work in 2017 in Cusco. So we're, we're hoping to have that. That's one project. Um, now, a, um, I use Facebook. If, if, if I would like to say this. Um, IU Multilingue, if people are interested in, in participatory approaches. IU, it's a Quechua word that means collective or community. I-U-A-Y-L-L-U. And then multilingue is an Spanish word that means multi multilingual. So, okay. um, mm -hmm. and um, um, just res recently, last week, I published in, in the Revista, it's uh, the Harvard Review of Latin America, uh, with some of the results of this photo voice project in Cusco, if anyone is interested. Mm -hmm. Well, excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Brandon. It was really a pleasure to... Oh, uh, the pleasure was all ours. Thank you so much. And we look forward to uh, hearing and seeing about your, your upcoming research, especially that film. That sounds interesting. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Have a good one.